0: It's so great to be together, worshiping the Lord, and uh, and singing praises to God. And now to to look into God's word together. Now we're in week three of a six week series on our values, uh, anchored in First Peter. And each week we've reviewed our mission, our vision, and our values. You can call them whatever you want, but they're why we exist. They're what we want, and they are what is important to us. Now our mission as a church is to worship God, build up believers and reach others for christ these things are central This is why we exist as a church and our vision which is printed in the bulletin every week is to become a a worshiping body of biblically equipped believers who effectively reach our world for christ through purposeful relationships and 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 our values are, are god's word learning and teaching and obeying what god says prayer which fosters intimacy and dependence upon God. And then families, following Jesus as biblically-based households. And then relationships, loving each other with with God's grace and God's truth. And also service, uh, serving unselfishly in God's strength. And then outreach, sharing Christ's love with humility and with with, um, gentleness. Now today, the value that we're focusing on is relationships, relationships. And you probably noticed that I'm going out of order. I'm not taking them in the order that they are listed, uh, because I want to address the, the uh, value of families on Father's Day. So today, it is relationships. And we're looking at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12, which Tom read so well a few moments ago. And it shows us how Christians are to relate, especially within the body of Christ. How Christians are to relate to their brothers and sisters in Christ, in the family of God. Now, we know that in family dynamics, Brothers and sisters fight, they argue, they compete, and it's all due to sin. And it's not any different in the body of Christ, it's not any difference in the family of God. And so this this is a plea for unity and love amongst brothers and sisters in Christ, here in 1 Peter chapter 3. And we see first of all in verse 8 that God's family is to be united and supportive and loving and gentle and humble. With one another. These are signs of relational health in the family of God. Now, verse eight begins to sum up. It's a summary statement. It's a wrapping up of a discussion that began earlier in First Peter, actually back in Chapter One, regarding the implications of our salvation in Christ. And in general, it starts in chapter one, verse thirteen. Because of God causing us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. Because of that, it says in verse 13, chapter 1, therefore prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. It goes on uh, in verse 17 to speak of reverent fear of God, of reverence for God that just permeates life. It says, if you address as father the one who impartially judges, conduct yourselves in fear during your time of your stay on earth. It goes on to speak about A holy living and also being a part of God's spiritual house in chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. It says, coming to him, coming to Jesus, as to a living stone which which had been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, Jesus Christ, you also, as living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house. And so the context goes on then to be very specific about Christians and relationships. You see it in chapter 3. And uh, it actually it begins in chapter 2 when it speaks of, in verse 9, of us being a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people for God's own possession, that we would proclaim his excellencies. It speaks in, in verse 11 of, of being aliens and strangers in the world, and to abstain from fleshly lust that wage war against our souls, to keep our behavior excellent in our relationships. And verse 13, it talks about submitting to every human institution for God's sake. It moves on in verse 18 to speak of servants being submissive to masters. And then in verse uh, 1 of chapter 3, it it specifically speaks of wives in relation to their husbands. And then chapter 3, verse 7, husbands in relation to their wives. And then we come to this summary in verse 8. Summary in verse 8 that says, here's what you're to do based upon your salvation in Christ. And it says all of you. No one's exempt. This is for everyone. The first thing we see in, in chapter 3, verse 8, is that in God's family, when relationships are healthy, there is unity. Unity. God's people are unified. It says to be harmonious. Be harmonious. It, it's from two words that mean same and heart. The same heart, the same mind, the same thoughts. It, it's unity in spirit. It's agreeing together. It's being like-minded. It's an inward Attitude that makes division unthinkable within the body of Christ, within the family of God. It it speaks of sharing the same thoughts, the same mind, and it really talks about thinking harmoniously. Thinking harmoniously. A good example is Acts chapter 2. Go there with me. Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. You see the early church and how they responded to one another, how they acted towards their, their brand new brothers and sisters in Christ. In verse 42, it says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, literally the breaking of the bread. They were celebrating the Lord's uh, Supper with one another, and they were devoting themselves to prayer. And then it goes on to say that everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles' And then in verse 44, those who believed were together. And they had all things in common. They began selling their property. They began giving their possessions and sharing them with all, whoever had needs. And it says that day by day, continuing with one mind. They were harmonious in their thinking. They were harmonious in their mind. They were continuing with one mind. They were breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together. And they had gladness and sincerity of heart. And it says that they praised God and they had favor with all the people. And that God was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. That's a great picture, and a great example of thinking harmoniously. Now you may be willing to be of one mind with your brothers and sisters in Christ as long as that one mind is your mind. You know, agree with me. Give me what I want and nobody gets hurt. But that's not the mind we're talking about here. The one mind referred to here is the mind of Christ. And we can only know the mind of Christ if we know the word of Christ. We know the word of God necessitates knowing God's word. The word of God shows us the mind of Jesus. Align yourself with that. And God wants us to reshape our thinking, to reshape your thinking as you align yourself with the word of God. Now, being of one mind speaks to the basic and essential unity of God's people. We are one, but we are not the same. Believers are to be of one mind, but don't expect everyone to be like you. God has built unity and diversity within his family. It's like your body. Every cell in your body is different. And each has its own role to play. But every cell in your body has the same DNA. The same DNA code written in it. It's the master plan for your body. So every cell in your body has the same mind. though different roles. You could say that Christians are to be harmonious like a choir is to be harmonious, to sing. At least that's what a choir is supposed to do. Sing in harmony with one another. So everyone in the choir sings with their own voice. They even might sing different parts. But the goal, the end result, is to sing in harmony as they are are coming together, uh, singing in harmony, singing the same music. So the first sign of health is unity. Being in harmony, thinking in harmony with one another, your brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, the second sign of of relational health is support. Support for brothers and sisters in Christ. It says here, be harmonious, be sympathetic. A sympathetic comes from two words that mean suffer together with. Suffer together with. It's the sharing in feeling. It's it's being ready to share both in joy and in sorrow. In happy times and in sad times. Hebrews 10.25 is a is a passage we looked at as we went through Hebrews, and it's the idea of encouraging one another. Encouraging one another. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25, excuse me, verse 23 says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Not forsaking, uh, let us, excuse me, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more, as you see the day drawing near, as you see the day of Jesus approaching, quickly approaching, all the more, encourage one another, support each other. Mark is going to come up right now. I've asked him to talk a little bit about the significance in his life of, uh, of associating with a, a group of people on a, weekly, on a, on a regular basis.
1: He invited me to join a Bible study, and at that time, I didn't really, um, oh, know how much of a benefit it would be. I, he caught me in the day where I just sort of said, yeah, sure, that'd be fine, um, but it's really become an important part of my life, and um, I've received a very significant benefit from it. Um, of course, sharing God's word on a—we meet every two weeks um, on a biweekly basis. It helps keep me in the word and— you know, we can study God's uh, wisdom and his plan for our life. Um, but it's also an important opportunity for fellowship. Um, you know, we're sharing how God's word's impacting us and our sort of response to that, um, the different challenges we face in living out God's uh, word in our lives. And it's a time that, um, it's a deeper conversation than, you know, we would normally experience uh, in other settings. And... Um, when two members of the Bible study left, uh, Vito Barbieri and Bob Lopresto, you know, I was kind of when they moved out of town. I was kind of surprised, you know. Ah, Vito, you know, you're leaving, and you know, Bob, you know, still kind of keep in touch. Um, I was surprised how good of friends they'd become, and you know, in looking at it, it became really clear that, you know, I was meeting with these guys every two weeks for like two hours and we were talking about things that were personal and, and meaningful to us, uh, about our faith and our lives. And, um, you know, of course, they did become very close friends. And the other guys in the Bible study now, it's been six years, and um, I, th- I think we're pretty tight. Um, you know, in my daily life, I really don't have anybody else that I do get that close to, except my wife. <laughs> um, <laughs> But, you know, I've got good friends, and, you know, we feel like we're lucky if we get together once a month or two. You know, we call each other up and say, hey, man, it's been a couple of months, we got to get together. Um, but these guys, you know, we get together every two weeks for a couple of hours, and it's really, um, they've become my best friends, not just in church, but here in town and, you know, nationwide, really. You know, I've got some friends that are pretty far apart, and, you know, I only get to talk to them maybe once every six months or so, but... Um, Again, the Bible study, it became a lot more than I ever could have uh, hoped for, really. And I just want to encourage people that are in Bible studies to, you know, invite somebody. And if you're not in one, invite yourself. Um, You'd be more than welcome. There's a lot of Bible studies forming, and they're they're very flexible about that. I encourage you to participate, and I know you'll be blessed uh, both in sharing God's word and the fellowship and the friendship that grows out of it. So... Um, If you do need any more encouragement, I'm doing the info table after uh, church, and I'd be glad to share more with you about it.
0: All right, thank you, Mark. You know, he's talking about uh, support that comes when you're encouraging one another, but you can't do that from a distance. You've got to be together. You've got to be associated closely with people. And uh, it reminds me of Galatians chapter 6, verses 2 and verse 5. It says in in Galatians 6 that everyone's to bear their own load, carry their own load. It's just your normal cargo of of life. You know, your regular responsibilities. But it also says, bear one another's burdens. Now, the burden is the overload. It's not your normal cargo. It's when you get overloaded, you need help. And when you're associated with someone on a a regular basis, those are people you can go to. Those are people that can help you. And uh, in small groups, in smaller groups, we get to carry each other. It's kind of like those four friends that carried their buddy to Jesus. Praise God that he had four friends that would do that for him. And uh, it says that bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ, which we know is is to love one another. And so it comes as no surprise that the next element in a healthy uh, relationships in the body of Christ is love, brotherly love. It says uh, be harmonious, be sympathetic, be brotherly. Literally, it's two words, beloved brother. Be a beloved brother, be a beloved sister to someone within the family of God. The primary emphasis here is on love for fellow Christians. Love for brothers and sisters in Christ. Love for others within the church. And we should be unified and supportive and and loving. That brothers and sisters in God's family ought to treat each other with love. And it sounds so simple, but it's so hard for us to do. And that's what Jesus said would enable the world to identify who his true followers really are. He said that by this all men will know if you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. We would be recognizable by that. Now, Jesus didn't say you have to like your brothers and sisters. He said you to love them. But it's interesting. When you choose to love your brothers and sisters, some of whom you might not like, you'd be surprised how much you start to like them when you love them, when you choose to love them. Then there's something else. There's gentleness. It says to be kind-hearted. It says be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted. And I call that gentleness, uh, caring for one another. A Kind-hearted is a word that comes from two words that means good inward parts. Literally, good heart, or good liver, or good lungs, which was figurative uh, in Bible times for your emotions. It means good emotions towards one another. And it's a tender heart, gentle towards one another. It means to be caring and compassionate, not only in how you act, but how you feel towards your brothers and sisters in Christ. You see, the idea, let's just take one example. In, in, in scripture, it, speaks of, it talks about speaking the truth in love. And uh, sometimes we'll, we'll say something to someone, maybe in a harsh manner, and then we'll say, hey, I'm just speaking the truth in love. Just doing what the word says for me to do. But we do it in a harsh manner. And, and especially in times like that, when, when you truly care When you you truly care for your brothers and sisters, you will speak the truth in love, but you'll do it in a gentle manner, not in a harsh manner. And when you do it in a gentle manner, it's it's amazing how well received it is versus when it comes out harshly. See, honesty is best served with gentleness. And it's easier to accept an honest rebuke than a harsh one. Now, you've got the idea of uh, being unified, and the idea of being supportive and the idea of, of, of love and then gentleness. And the last one of, uh, in verse 8 is, is humility. Walking in humility, having a humble spirit. Be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. It literally means to be of lowly mind or of lowly thought or of lowly heart. The idea here it refers not only to, uh, to our attitudes but also our actions. It's contrasted in scripture with pride. The pride goes before destruction, but a a humble spirit is what is is pleasing to God. That God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to those that are humble. To those that are of lowly heart, of lowly thought, of lowly mind. One of the biggest relationship needs we have is to be forgiven. That we do things to one another that that harm one another, that hurts each other's feelings. And the need we have relationally is forgiveness. The, the gift that you give to people when, when you basically, you realize that they are indebted to you in some way relationally because of, of something that they have done that was not right. And so you think about it and you realize what that, what that debt they owe to you is and then you assume the entire debt. You say, I'm not going to make you pay that back to me. I'm not going to choke you till, you till you pay the last cent. Whatever it is that they did. You just forgive. You let it go. You forgive the debt. And what you do when you do that is you restore a fractured relationship. Uh, forgiveness grows in the soil of a humble heart, a humble heart is, that sees itself as not too, too big to extend forgiveness. And it doesn't keep score. Now, when God's family is healthy, these things are present there is unity. People are together of one mind, moving together in a certain, situ- certain uh, uh, direction. There is, there is support. There are supportive relationships where you, you know you can go to certain people. You know that they care, and you know you can confide in them. You know they'll be with you in thick and thin. There's also love, there's also gentleness and humility. And these things are wonderful things. They're great, they're amazing. But not everyone in the body of Christ experiences these things. As a pastor, I hear a lot about people's relational issues. Um, there are issues with family, there are issues with friends, and there are issues with foes. And, and, they, and they say things like, you know, I can't connect with people. Or people have done this to me, or, or that to me. Or, or they don't like other people. And it happens all the time in the body of Christ, among brothers and sisters in Christ that are supposed to be walking together with one mind, that are supposed to be supportive, that are supposed to be loving and and treating each other with gentleness and, and humility. I mean, people say things like, I don't have many good friendships, many good relationships. They're not there. I have few friends. I feel disconnected. No one will talk to me. I feel left out. I'm not invited. And it happens week after week in churches like this where sit, you're sitting next to people that you don't know and that you can't get to know. And you go in and out and you leave. And that's just sad because that's not the way that God intends his body to be. And so you've got this idea that there are, there are too many lonely and relationally hurting people in gospel preaching, Bible-believing, Jesus-loving churches. That's not the way God wants it amongst his family. That's not the way he wants his brothers and sisters. He doesn't want brothers and sisters in Christ to be operating that way. See, people just crave a friend or two. People just want to have a relationship so they can experience the benefits. They, they They desire the good things that come through being relationally connected. If you don't have any friends... I want to encourage you to be a friend to somebody. Find someone else. Don't wait till someone else initiates towards you. If you feel left out, I, I encourage you to not wait for others to initiate and engage, but go and initiate and engage with, with whoever will in the church. See, you may not want others to get close to you. In fact, there are people, you've been hurt, and you don't want it to happen again, and so you you... you you create a protective cocoon around yourself. And what you do is you rob yourself of the joy and, and, and the great things that come with being relationally connected to people within the body. Now, if you're a relational porcupine, it will be hard for people to, to get to know you. <laughs> Much less, uh, you know, talk to you or, or, or go any deeper than, hi, my name is Bob okay so you gotta you gotta think about that okay if you're relational porcupine you might need to ease up a bit and so then people can actually talk to you okay now if if uh, if you're a relational snob on the other hand I'm not looking at anybody in particular (laughs) but if you're a relational snob and you say hey I don't want to be around those people I'm not going to spend time with them I want to spend the least amount of time I can with people like that and by the way I've heard all three of those (laughs) over the years the people don't want to be around their brothers and sisters in Christ. They want to get out of there as fast as they can because they don't like them. So what do you do? If you're that, if that's you, all I can tell you is allow people to be themselves and don't label them. You know, we label people so quick, don't we? The first time we see someone, we, we, we go, oh, look at the way they look or look at the way they dress or how they talk. I don't like them. And we label them. I mean, who made us the definers of normalcy? Think about it. If you're you're the type of person that says, well, I don't want to be around those kind of people, who made you the definer of what's normal? You're weird too. You say, well, they're weird. (laughs) Well, they're weird. Well, you know what? So are you, okay? Now, and so am I. So allow people to be who they are and trust God to to connect you with them because you have something to learn from each other. It's true. See, people need the company of people. You know, like it or not, in all of life, people are unavoidably present. Okay? You can't get away from it. It's the way it is. And so you come to church to express your love for God. You come to church to praise God. And you look around and you realize you gotta, you gotta rub elbows with some pretty unlovely people and some pretty unkind people at times. You can't get around it. It's the way it is. But you know what God does? He instructs us. To love each one of our brothers and sisters especially the ones that we label especially the ones we don't want to be around i like how eugene peterson describes the church he says if god's my father this is my family and god's children do different things some run away and pretend the family doesn't exist some move out and only come back for parties some would never dream of leaving but cause others to dream it for them they're always criticizing what is served at the meals. They're quarreling with the way the housekeeping is done and complaining that others in the family are either ignoring or taking advantage of them. Some, though, determine to find out what God has in mind by placing them in this community called a church. Learn how to function in it harmoniously and joyously and develop the maturity that is able to share and exchange God's grace with those who might otherwise be seen as nuisances you see just just as there's indicators of of relational uh, of health in the church there are also signs of relational sickness in the body of christ look at verse 9 see verse 9 is the flip side of verse 8 verse 8 says be harmonious sympathetic brotherly kind-hearted humble in spirit look at verse 9 Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult. It's going to happen. People will throw evil at you. People will insult you. And and the writer is saying, the Holy Spirit is speaking through the writer and saying, don't retaliate. Don't retaliate. That's the opposite of responding appropriately in the family of God. Payback in the form of, of insults and slander and cursing and lies and deceit and anger and gossip. And I can go on, but I won't. But payback, retaliation, and these come from the unseen enemy of health in the body of Christ, which is pride. Pride. It's like spiritual germ warfare. You can't see it, but it is contagious and it is deadly. See, the church can't move forward unless its relationships are healthy. The church can't move forward uh, in love towards the world, sharing the gospel, because they're going to look at us and say, what are you talking about? You can't even love each other. Well, you love me? And so, the biggest challenge, the biggest test to whether your love is true is whether you strike back when you're wrong. When someone does something to you, and your pride wells up, and you want to punch them in the face after they punched you in the face, what do you do? See, it happens in families all the time. You're called to give a blessing instead of speaking evil or doing evil to one another. You want to experience abundant life in Christ? You want to be blessed by God? Then be willing to yield. Be willing to yield. Let it go. See, we're called in verse 9 to, be, to give a blessing instead. You know what that means? That means to speak well of. It means to eulogize. Now, you at a funeral, you, you do a eulogy. You say all these good things about the person who died. We're supposed to eulogize the person who who shoots evil at us or who who insults us while they're living. We don't want to say, hey, you're such a great guy. We want to punch him back in the face. We want to retaliate. We're to give a blessing instead. It means you find ways to serve that person. It means you find ways to thank God for them. It means you pray for them. Not pray that bad things happen to them. You pray for them That good will come to them. You pray blessing upon them. It means you speak well of them publicly. It means that you you want what is good for them rather than for harm to come to them. You hurt over what they did. You hurt deeply over what they did. But you still initiate something good towards them. Because that's what we're called to do in the body of Christ. It's for your benefit. Verse 9 says, You were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. It's the idea of inheritance where you receive a gift that you could not merit, that you could not earn. It is given because of relation, relation to Jesus. See, this is the life you were called to in Christ. You've received God's forgiveness. His undeserved blessings showered upon you rather than his his wrath against your sin, rather than his judgment against your sin, and you're to respond that way to those who wrong you. So conflicts, arguments, disputes among believers, they're not supposed to linger. They're not even supposed to be carried over into the new day. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 26. How are we to... How are we to deal with it when there are conflicts and when there are arguments and disputes among believers? What are we to do? Are we to keep it going? Are we to keep it smoldering? Are we to keep the fire burning under it so that it can just go on and on and fester and get worse? Well, look what it says. Ephesians 4.26 says, uh, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Don't give the devil an opportunity. Verse 29, Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth. Only such a word that is good for edification. According to the need of the moment. That it would give grace. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Along with all malice. That's what we're called to. I don't do that. That's what we're called to. That's what you're called to in the body of Christ. That's what you're called to in relation to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Even the ones that hurt you. Especially the ones that hurt you. See Jesus said turn the other cheek. Go the other mile. We want to fight back. So keep issues small. Keep them short-lived. Don't blow them out of proportion. Don't go try and get someone else to talk to the person for you. Don't go tell two or three other people what they did and hope that they'll go and set them straight. Do what Jesus says in Matthew 18. Go to them in private. Talk with them. They'll probably listen to you. And if so, case closed. Let it go. See, many problems in God's family are due to people not doing what Jesus says. The human response to being wrong, retaliate. You get punched in the face, you want to punch back. They hit you, you hit them, so on and so forth. Vicious cycle. See, no one wants to yield. That is counterintuitive to our way of thinking. Nobody wants to yield, but yielding is biblical. Look at James chapter 3. In James chapter 3 and verse 17. Before, there, before that, it says that if you have bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your heart, don't be arrogant, don't lie against the truth. The wisdom, that wisdom is not which comes down from above. It is earthly, natural, demonic. It's from Satan. Don't go there. And then it says this, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But verse 17 says the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable. And that word reasonable means willing to yield. Willing to yield your position, willing to let it go, nobody wants to yield, but yielding is biblical, and only the love of Jesus can break that cycle. Only the love of Jesus Jesus said it's easy to love those who love you. Oh, that anybody could do that. The test is in loving those who mistreat you. So what does will, being willing to yield look like? what does it look like in daily life it, it 's the opposite of, of speaking evil and doing evil back to people but it's the idea of having a humble attitude towards everybody not retaliating towards those who wrong you it's the idea of being pure and honest in your speech look at verse 10 the one who desires to love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit so it's the idea of pure and honest speech to ask god to, to put a guard to guard your mouth that you would not hurt people with what comes out it means pursuing peace. Look at verse 11. He must turn away and do, away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. Pursue peace instead of a fight. And then make sure you have right motives. Doing it for the right reasons. Look at verse 12. The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous. His ears listen to their prayer. But the face of God is against those who do evil. Don't go in for the wrong reasons. Don't do the right thing for the wrong reasons. God knows. See, this runs counter to the way we think. We want to fight back, and Jesus says, don't. Uh, but see, when we don't, the result is, is sickness that gets covered up by several things activity, uh, fake smiles, and, and, uh, and coldness, relational coldness. We've all felt it. See, a false sense of health results. But every good thing has its counterfeits. I found a $100 bill this week in my neighborhood. It was uh, in about 20 different pieces and I was on a walk with a couple of my kids and I saw a piece of a $100 bill and I picked it up and the next thing you know, I was on a treasure hunt finding like 20 pieces of this $100 bill. I ran home, taped it together, got most of it, took it to the bank. They did their little test on it. It's fake. In fact, they gave it back to me. I was really surprised but I'm only going to use it today during this sermon lesson and then it will be shredded, okay? Trust me. But, But the thing is, it fooled me I'm looking at, I was showing someone between services. It fooled them. I went to the bank. They're like, Man, this looks good. Let's see. See, a counterfeit looks a lot like the real one. and You can be fooled. There are a lot of counterfeit relationships in the body of Christ. We smile. We say, hi, how you doing? I'm doing great. And inside we're dying. We don't tell people what we're thinking. And we go to, go to someone that we have just said something bad about in the car. And how you doing? Give me a big old hug. Those are false relationships. Those are that's counterfeit. Not to be in the body of Christ, not to be among brothers and sisters, but we know brothers and sisters fight. We know brothers and sisters compete. We know brothers and sisters hold grudges. And God doesn't want us to do that. It's wrong. Now, here's the true test of whether your love is true. If your love is true or false, do you retaliate or do you bless? Do you retaliate or do you bless? Retaliation breeds relational sickness. A spirit of criticism, of disunity, of suspicion, of fault finding. That infects a church. That creates dissension that's from Satan, not God. So refuse to give in to that temptation. Refuse to go there. Rebuke it in the name of Jesus. you're called to love for the sake of Jesus, whose body you are members of, You're called to love for the sake of your brothers and sisters in Christ for whose sake Christ died. You're called to love for your own sake because when you do, you're blessed. When you don't retaliate, you're blessed. It says give a blessing instead because you were were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Health is restored. See, for a, a perfect picture of health, you need look no further than God himself. For a model of healthy relationships, the triune God, the Trinity, is a great example because God is relational. It started in Genesis chapter 1 and it continues through the whole Bible. Let us make man in our image. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Perfect harmony in the Godhead. They, are, they, are, they, they embody by nature and by character, the very first three things in the in, in this list of, of things for relational health unity, support, and love. Nancy Piercy, in her book, Total Truth," said it this way: The human race was created in the image of God, who is three persons so intimately related as to constitute one godhead, one in being, and three in person. a mystery for us, yes, one in being. Three in person. And the balance of unity and diversity in the Trinity gives a model for human social life because it implies both individuality and relationship exist within the Godhead. So, humans made in the image of God, whose very nature consists in reciprocal love and communication and communion among the persons of the Trinity. That's our model for relationships. It's a perfect one, and we are in the midst of imperfect relationships. But it's our model, and it's our goal. In the power of the Holy Spirit, not in our own strength. See, Jesus prayed for us. Jesus prayed for you. John chapter 17, verse 11. He prays to the Father, and he says that they, he asks the Father, that they may be one, even as we are one. See, Jesus is saying that the Trinity is the model for communion amongst believers in the church. That they may be one even as we are one. So we have hope. Because the very God who is our model for relationship is the one who will enable us to fulfill that that community that God calls us to. He's the very one that indwells us. He's the very one that strengthens us. He's the very one that empowers us to live together in unity and support and love, and gentleness, and humility. In this call for healthy relationships in the body of Christ, we see someone else too. We see Jesus Christ. We see Jesus Christ, God the Son. Go to Matthew 11 with me. As we close, I want to show you what Jesus said. Jesus said in Matthew 11, something that, that is so significant It can transform your life. And he says as he's praying to the Father, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and intelligent. You've revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son reveals to will him. And then he says in verse 28, come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. You see, when Jesus described himself, he said, I am humble and I am gentle. Two of the things the church is called to be towards one another. Gentle and humble. Here we are, living on earth every day, in some messy human relationships. Some that look wonderful, and others that are are just wasted at times. And to us, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Weary and heavy laden with relationships that go wrong, amidst relational unrest, even within the church when there are unhealthy relationships that we know we're harboring. You see, Jesus wants us to find our rest in him. God is calling his church to be like Jesus that's what he's calling us to be, and it can only happen through Jesus, who strengthens us. And then Jesus wants us to be like Him. If you're a believer, the Father is at work in your life, conforming you to the image of Christ, so that, among other things, you might be gentle and humble as Jesus is—gentle and humble. You see, Jesus did what you find it so hard to do. Jesus did what I find it so hard to do. Look at Look at First Peter chapter two, verse twenty-one. Jesus Christ suffered for you, it tells us, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he didn't revile in return. Jesus didn't retaliate. Jesus didn't pay back the evil that was cast upon him. And why? It says, while suffering, he uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself, here's why. Verse 24, and he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. That's why he didn't retaliate. That's why he didn't pay back. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you are healed. See, that's why Jesus did what he did. He turned the other cheek. He took the full brunt of our sin upon himself. He took the full brunt of your sin upon himself so that you could receive the full measure of his blessing. Your sin for his grace. Your lives for his truth. His life for yours. You see, relational health in the body of Christ will not happen in our own strength. We cannot muster ourselves up to some understanding on our own. It will only happen as we acknowledge him. And as we walk in Jesus' steps. Let's pray. Lord God, we, we come to you today. Broken and needy people. Some that are hurting so relationally. And and, and, and hiding it so well. But we know we can't hide anything from you, Lord. And, and you see the depths of our hearts. And I just... Pray, Lord, that you give us the grace to just pour our hearts out to you and to one another, trusting each other to do what is right as you give us strength. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.